Good morning, everyone. That was quite a scream coming from that room. That's often what happens as I get up to preach. People uh, just scream loudly. Um, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here and um, great privilege to preach uh, today on uh, a very significant day for uh, your church. Get my message open. I, uh, I prayed as I prepared this message and thought about what I should share and, uh, and prepared my sermon. And then this morning, uh, I was praying again and I felt like um, God gave me like a different verse of scripture to share. And I'm like, hold on, am I meant to rewrite my sermon with an hour's notice? And then uh, had a little dialogue with God about that and decided, no, I'm going to stick with the main message. But I want to share the, uh, the verse that, uh, that God gave me this morning. Um, I'm really excited about what is happening uh, today in this church. Really excited about Swan family coming and being part of this church, and it's been a real privilege to be on the journey, uh, supporting the pastoral search team as they've discerned that, as the Swan family have discerned that. That's led us to be here uh, this morning. The verse that I uh, I wanted to share before I sort of get into the sermon proper. So this is the sermon before the sermon. Um, is Ephesians three twenty. Many of you would have heard this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I've just been working um, uh, recently with a church, um, and uh, it's a church that has, like a lot of churches, had a long and interesting history, and a, and a recent history of a fair bit of challenge, trouble, some difficulties and conflict and, and all sorts of things. And... Um, Probably until 12 months ago, 12 months ago, the church looked like a church of about 50 or 60 people, almost all of them above 60. And uh, I guess some real questions about, well, where's the church going and what's happening? The pastor had been there for almost seven years and had not seen a great deal of uh, fruit. And, uh, and then suddenly uh, things happened that were completely outside of what he'd asked for or even what he'd imagined. Uh, a Chinese church was meeting in the afternoon and, and then some members of that congregation became part of the morning congregation. Someone walked in one day, uh, a guy, and, and said he'd been studying Christianity on the internet uh, because he was a total atheist. He'd finally decided it was all true and he'd become a Christian and then he brought his mate along and a few months later they baptised each other one morning in church. Uh, several members of the Chinese congregation were baptised uh, their family started coming, and then three people from Iran, from Persia, walked in one day, and they said they wanted to find out about Christianity, and they all became Christians too. In the past 12 months, this church has seen um, nine baptisms, and people coming to faith, and suddenly a church that was kind of Anglo has become a multicultural church, and there's this sense that something new is happening in this church, and God is at work. But that came after seven years. And it strikes me that so often in church we set limitations and we make assumptions and we seek to maintain the status quo. And often the goal is that we'd like things to be kind of as they are but maybe just a bit bigger. It's kind of an unstated goal of many churches. Things not to change too much but just maybe to get a bit bigger. So my thought is maybe God gave me this verse this morning because he actually desires to do immeasurably more and different than what you guys have asked or imagined to this point. 
and that what might happen in the next few years might be completely different than what you could imagine right now. Just as for this church, if you'd said to them, what's the likelihood of this scenario playing out? They'd say, not going to happen. But God had different plans. So I'm going to leave that with you. And now I'll start preaching the actual sermon. <laughs> All right, the actual sermon. Let me pray before I do that. Uh, can, we, can we just pray? Father, I pray that as we uh, get into your word this morning, that uh, we would have ears to hear whatever it is you want to say to us as individuals, whatever it is you want to say to us as a community, as a church. Thank you that your word is a living word, that you speak to it through your spirit. So I pray, Lord, that we would hear what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. We've already heard the Bible read. It's an amazing passage. And this is, uh, if Darren, if you want to bring up the, uh, the slides, this is the lettuce sermon. And I'm going to share about, uh, talk about four lettuces this morning. Okay, which may sound sort of strange, but you'll, you'll, get, you'll, you'll get the point as we get there. Uh, okay, first one, first lettuce, we'll get straight into it, is this one, which is... <laughs> Not asking the type of lettuce, but thank you. It is, uh, it is, it is a, uh, it is an iceberg lettuce. Very good. Whoever called an iceberg lettuce. It's uh, the, the first lettuce in my sermon is lettuce draw. Click on the next slide. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open to us. Uh, through a curtain, and that is his body. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us, oh, I'll keep going next slide, sorry. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Let us draw near to God. Okay, now you've got to flick back a couple of slides because I've kind of put it completely out of order. So we get this little bit, back one more. That the context for, for this instruction to let us draw near to God is tied up in, in actually what in Hebrews has been explained over several chapters and is worthy of several sermons, and I'll try and capture it in about three minutes. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, what on earth does that mean? Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. This kind of is one of those passages where if you don't grasp it, you just read it and go, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm going to flick to the next slide, which actually kind of explains it. What this is talking about is it's taking the image of the temple. So this is the book of Hebrews that was written originally to Jewish people who understood when they heard this what what this is referring to so the temple was created uh, based on God's instruction to the Jewish people and it was created to resolve a very significant problem and the problem was this that God is holy and perfect and God cannot so the holiness and the perfection of God sin cannot survive in the presence of God's holiness basically when sin comes into the presence of God's holiness, it's a bit like a mosquito coming into the presence of a mosquito zapper. And so there's a real problem. God, people couldn't be in God's presence because of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of people. And yet God's desire was to dwell with people. And so the temple is given as a gift to enable people to draw near to God. And the temple had all these different courtyards there was this outer area which was known as the courtyard of the gentiles 
So anyone could go into that outer area, even a Gentile like you or me, a non-Jewish person. But then there was the court of the Israelites, and where the Israelites could go in. And I think, if I got it right, there was then a court that the men could go in, but the women can't, couldn't. Sorry about the uh, reality of that for today's people. But then there was where the, the priest could go. And then in the very, the very back room in the middle there, the tall little structure, which you can probably see, was the holiest of holy places. That is where the presence of God dwelt on earth. And the high priest could enter that room on one day of the year. One person, once a year, could literally enter into the presence of God, following huge elaborate rituals to enable them to do that. Okay? And then, what happened when Jesus died on the cross was his sin, not his sin, (laughs) take that away, was that his blood covered our sin. And his blood, through his blood, and through him bearing our sin and taking it away, we are actually made holy in God's sight. And at the time that Jesus died, the curtain, which was mentioned in this passage, the curtain was torn from where to where? From top to bottom. So this curtain that blocked the, God's presence from where people was is torn apart. And now there's a new way in which we can relate with God. We can, through the blood of Jesus, enter into God's presence. We can draw near to God. And this thing which, if you've grown up in the church and you've grown up kind of as a Christian, we kind of just assume that you can just say, hey God, in prayer, and think that we can connect with God in prayer and just take it as just the easiest thing in the world. And any time, in any moment, we can just pray and, and know the presence of God. And God hears us and we think, oh yeah, that's just normal. That is a phenomenal gift which has come through the blood of Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done, we can and should draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Enter His presence with confidence. We are invited into a relationship with God. And I want to kind of say uh, to you, Swanee, I don't know whether it's Swan or Swanee, Peter, just go with whatever, whatever I like. Okay, Swanee. I want to encourage you as you start out as a pastor. Something that a pastor shared with me uh, in a talk many years ago at a time when I was giving 150% for my church and had been doing so for years and was therefore heading towards burnout even though my church was thriving and everything was exciting. He said to me, the greatest gift you can give to your church is a healthy, spiritually alive you. And I was like, wow, I thought the greatest gift I could give to my church was a completely burnt out, empty me. <laughs> Strangely enough. No, no, the greatest gift you can give to your church is a healthy, spiritually alive you. And he gave me another phrase, which is ministering from the overflow rather than ministering from depletion and emptiness. Now, that's the greatest gift a pastor can give to his church. I believe that's true. But it's also the greatest gift that a husband can give to his wife, that a wife can give to her husband, that parents can give to their children, that you can give to people as as you just live your life in the community. The greatest gift you can give is a healthy, spiritually alive you. Because as we draw near to God, God changes us and shapes us into the image and likeness of Jesus. And when we come apart from God, then 
that depletes. I've got a bit of a quote here uh, that I want to share with you. This is from um, John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And uh, he quotes Dallas Willard first, and he says this, When we fall away from God, i.e. when we don't draw near to God but pull away from God, the desire for the infinite remains, but it's, dis- it's di- displaced upon or it's replaced by things that will certainly lead to destruction. He's saying that we've got this thing in us that d- desires to be drawn towards the infinite, that is God. But when we replace it by something else, it leads to destruction. And Comer goes on to say, Ultimately, nothing in this life apart from God can satisfy our desires. Tragically, we continue to chase after our desires ad infinitum. The result? A chronic state of restlessness or worse. Angst, anger, anxiety, disillusionment, depression. All of which leads to a life of hurry a life of busyness, a life of overload, shopping, materialism, careerism, a little more, which in turn makes us even more restless and the cycle spirals out of control. And to make a bad problem worse, Rose, this is exasperated by our cultural moment of digital marketing from a society built around the twin gods of accumulation and accomplishment. I think it's an amazing quote. It's something we've got to be so aware of. How do we overcome that? We draw near to God. Secondly, the second lettuce. Let's bring it up. What is that? Let us hold. Okay. It's a stretch, I know. Okay. <laughs> uh, we, got, we got the scripture there, Darren. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. I kind of have this image as I think about this the thing of let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Is I've started watching a little bit of American football. Okay, anyone into American football here? Okay, no one. All right, great. Yeah, that's right. That's why I never played it. But uh, uh, in American football, um, whoever ends up with the ball, the key is that they don't, they've got to hold on to it, right? If it gets not clear and the other team grabs it, I think they can take off. And that's, so the, the one thing is, like, they'll run out of bounds rather than risk being, um, having the ball knocked away. Right, and they, you see, they just pin the ball in. They'll often give up even distance because the greatest thing is to, to make sure that you hold the ball as you get tackled. Is that correct? All right, I'm onto it. And what this is saying is, we've got to be like that with hope. Like God has put this hope in our hearts, faith, and life as we run wants to knock hope out of us. Right, just like in American football, you get these massive people, linebackers, I don't know, different, no one has just come and smash into the guy and knock the ball loose. And I reckon that's what this is saying we've got to do with hope. We've got to hold on unswervingly. I wonder what you might think has the potential to knock hope out of us as we go on the journey of life. What could knock hope, the hope out of us? Anyone got a thought? 
Despair. What do you mean by that? Oh, d- despair. <laughs> I thought it was like a spear. Okay. Sorry. Forgive me. Didn't hear. Despair. Yep. <laughs> I, I'm at the front. I'm just, there's a long distance between us. I have apologized. I'm sorry. Anything else? Okay, yep, so our interactions with people, our interactions and relationships with people. Sin in general, yep. How about suffering? How about suffering? How about seasons where we, we don't hear God in prayer or we, we feel distant from God even when we try to press in or we have doubts? What about times when, what about our culture around us, our world around us, where rather than people saying, oh, you're a Christian, that's awesome. <laughs> we face this world which says, what do you, why do you believe what you believe? Where even our faith is, is mocked in the media, where, where at times it's criticized and insulted. What about all of that stuff? Has the risk to try to knock the hope out of us that God has put in our hearts? So let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess in spite of all those things. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That he who promised to us is faithful. That he will never leave us nor forsake us. That his promises are true yesterday, today and always. He who promised to us is faithful. So let us hold unswervingly to the faith we profess. All right, next one. I'm going to keep moving here. What have we got there? Let us spur. Let us spur. We're going to the passage. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Over the past 10 years, I've been a significant part of two communities. One is a church community and another community, the other community that I've been a significant part of on a regular basis is the Mount Lofty Football Club. I've been an active part of that community as a coach and as an assistant coach and as a runner and as a, at training, the, the, the chief cone mover uh, was my role. Um, and I discovered that one of those communities was great at spurring each other on and one of those communities was pretty poor at spurring each other on. And I think you can probably guess which was really good at spurring one another on. It was the football club. A football club is great. A football team is great at getting around one another, about encouraging one another, about saying, well done, that was awesome. And uh, they'll literally, you know, the coach will say, um, how, good was, how, good was, um, how good was Rowan when he, when he, when he tackled that, that kid, you know? <laughs> that sounds really wrong. <laughs> okay. How good was Rowan when he, he tackled that six foot five bloke who was about to kick a goal? That's far better. <laughs> and everyone gets around him. They literally pat him on the back and they rub him on the head and, and, and they do all of that. 
And, um, and before a game, you know, there's all the training. It's like they'll do a drill and they're like, okay, get around each other. And they're all like high-fiving and they're, they're patting each other. That happens all the time in a football team. And in a church, it happens hardly ever. And I'm not saying it has to happen in the same way where we all pat each other on the back, literally. But we've got to find ways in church to spur each other on. We do. And that can't just be Swanee's job to spur you on. That will be part of his job. But you've got to spur him on. And he's going to need your encouragement because too often pastors get criticism and not much encouragement. And, you, and not only that, but you've got to spur one another on. You've got to spur each other on. You've got to find ways and language to encourage each other. Because there's not too many people outside of the church community who are going to spur you on in your faith in this day and age. So you've got to encourage each other all the more. This can't be an encouragement-free zone. This can't be an affirmation-free zone. This can't be a spurring-on-free zone. It can't be a thanks-free zone. And too often it is. It's almost like because we're serving God, we almost like sometimes think, oh, we don't want to sort of say well done or we don't want to say, because then we're sort of like making it about the person. We don't want to say thank you because they're a volunteer and they're serving God. So we don't want to sort of, you know, we just want to, I think that's really unhealthy. I think we need to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Amen? Final point. What have we got here? Let us not, let us not, here we go, verse of Scripture, let us not, uh, and well, I, I added the let us, but you know, it fits with the flow. Let us not give up meeting together, and let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching, the day the Lord returns. Sometimes I wonder with church, wouldn't it be easier if we just stopped meeting together? Right? Uh, We've we got the technology now. Our lives are busy and church is messy. I mean, wouldn't it just be easier? Swanee can just do a, a weekly podcast and you can all listen in and then you can just tune into your favourite worship music because we've all got different tastes. It's far, wouldn't it be far better? You know, someone could be listening to old hymns. That's what they love. Someone else could be listening to, uh, I don't know, uh, whatever is popular these days with amongst the young people. <laughs> and, and we just would avoid all the messiness that comes with church. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. So why should we not give up meeting together? Well, the answer to that is because faith is designed to be lived out and worked out in community. Faith is designed to be lived out in community. From the very start, Jesus gave birth to his church. And from the very start, they started gathering in community, in people's homes, in, in, in gatherings where they could talk and they could share and they could enjoy meals together and they could discuss faith and they could ask questions and they could encourage each other and they could go on mission together and they could pray together. And out of all of that, came a growing living movement that spread throughout the world and almost from the very start it was messy you know Acts chapter 2 is uh, right at the end of Acts chapter 2 is my favorite one of my favorite scriptures has been the model for me as a pastor to seek to 
grow a church where they, you know, they met together in each other's homes and they shared meals and they prayed together and they were centered on the word and the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved and, and they were all united and it is this phenomenal picture and I have pursued that in ministry since day one. But then you go on only three chapters later and the Greek widows are upset because the Jewish widows are getting fed first and, and there's this fight on and, and arguments and they've got to appoint deacons to make sure that everyone gets food at the dinner. And then another chapter later or two and someone is Ananias and Sapphira holding back uh, money from the offering and they're not being generous and then it kind of carries on from there. By the time you get to Corinthians, the whole thing's gone crazy. But God doesn't say, oh, what a stupid idea. Best if we stop meeting together. Just pursue faith on your own. Because in the meeting together, in spite of the messiness, out of that comes genuine discipleship. And when we take someone out of community, as I've seen so many times, people don't often lose their faith, though sometimes they do. But what happens is they kind of end up with this faith that's kind of their own thing that's kind of a little bit inward, that's kind of maybe a little distortion of genuine faith. And as we come back into community, we rub against each other and we grow from each other, we learn from each other, we challenge each other, and through it, the community of faith is extended. We benefit and God's kingdom is extended. So that's the message. And I wonder, as I finish up, which lettuce you needed to hear this morning which lettuce do you need to hear in your life is it drawing near to god is it holding on to the hope that you profess is it uh, spurring one another on or is it uh, meeting together and being committed in that oh i just wonder for you and i ask you to call that out i just I'm going to leave that with you to take home. And then I leave for the church this question. What, sh- what does this church need to think about as this new season begins particularly? Well, it needs all four. But what does it particularly need as it starts out? I'll leave that with you. But may you, I've got to think of the lettuces now. May you all together in this new season draw near to God. May you hold unswervingly to the hope that you profess. May you spur one another on towards love and good deeds and may you not stop meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing, but keep meeting together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that we have received it this morning, that we won't simply now set it aside, but might take it with us and continue to dwell upon it and allow it to shape us and guide us and direct our path as we move forward as followers of Jesus and as your church here in Glen Osmond Baptist. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.